Welcome back to another episode, which is actually our final episode of the Thursday Night Streams podcast for this school year. This week, we have Father Jacob Bertrand speaking on the Imago Dei and human dignity. Each person is created with an inherent dignity because each person is created in the image of God. Knowing how the human person is made and for what that human person is made for is essential to our flourishing. To that end, we'll take a look at what we are and how we pursue relationships with others and most importantly, with Christ. So more about Father Jacob Bertrand. He is the Director of Vocations of the Dominican Province of St. Joseph. He entered the Order of Preachers in 2010 and was ordained to the priesthood in 2017. Following his ordination, Father Jacob Bertrand served as the Assistant Chaplain at Aquinas House, the Catholic Campus Ministry at Dartmouth College. He is also a host of the podcast God's Planning and co-author of the book St. Dominic's Way of Life, The Path to Knowing and Loving God. So, without further ado, enjoy this episode. How are you? Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Um, as James said, I'm Father Jacob Bertrand. Um, and, well, let's start with a prayer first. I think that's probably the, the best thing. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, send your Spirit upon us. Open our minds that we may come to know you more truly, and our hearts that we may love you more dearly. And all we do may work to glorify your name for the salvation of our souls. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I usually talk, I'm not, I don't know, maybe whatever. I usually talk a lot with my hands. I was going to say I'm not Italian, but I usually talk a lot with my hands. But having a mic, kind of, I feel like I'm trapped. So let's see what I can do. And then I need a marker too, because I'm going to write things. Um, okay, so... I was asked to talk about uh, something along the lines, we'll see, uh, about the Imago Dei and human, human dignity. So let's, let's, I guess, let me set it up this way, um, that as human beings, as men and women, we're created for a particular purpose. And ultimately, ultimately that purpose is to know and love God. It's a pretty simple statement. It's the basis of all things Christian, really, that we're made to know and love God, and that ability to know, that intellectual ability or capacity, and the ability to love, that we have a will that can pursue good things and pursue what we desire, is the source of our imago Dei, or what is God-like, or the image of God in which we are made. And that being the case, it's the source of human dignity. It's the thing that all human beings share, our ability to know and to love. Why? Well, why is that the source of our dignity? Well, it's because this is who God is. God is knowledge. If we think of the Trinity, the knowledge of God comes, results, not results, not the best word, but this is in a talk on the Trinity, so we're going to stick with results. In the second person of this Trinity, the Word, the Son, who proceeds from the Father, and the love between the Father and the Son results, again, it's not a talk on the Trinity, so we'll stick with results, in the Holy Spirit. And being made in that image of knowledge and love, that dignity of the human person, we are invited to share in that divine life. It's the source of our dignity. But it's important to recognize, it's not only important to recognize this reality, it's important to understand this reality a bit. So that's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at who and what the human person is, who and what we are with respect to our ability to know and to love as the source of our dignity as 
children of God, as adopted sons and daughters of God. This is important, I think, not just to have some sort of knowledge about something, you know, we could all look something up or like spout facts about something, but it's important, that's not why it's important, it's important to have an understanding of who we are as human beings, as men and women, because the more that we know about ourselves, the more that we understand what we are, the better able, able we are to pursue the fulfillment of what it means to be a human being. The better able we are, the better able we are, we are better able, there you go, English will come to me, that we are better able to pursue what is most divine and godlike in us. Okay, I set it up enough, maybe. So we're going to start by talking about what is at least philosophically called or under the umbrella of, of human anthropology. Simply, what is the human person, right? Anthropology in the philosophical sense is, or definition, is just the study of what makes us human. So, proposal B, because I already kind of made a proposal, or at least maybe that was an argument for what I'm going to talk about, and now this is the proposal for what I'm going to talk about. Um, here it goes. It's a five-step proposal. First, right, is this, that the Christian life is about the return of the person to God. Right? Fairly simple. The Christian life is about returning to God. In charity, this is number two, in charity, God gives himself completely, and he asks for us to give ourselves completely in return. The return to God through a gift of the self. Such a task, though, this return to God, this giving of self, is impossible on the natural level. We can't attain it on our own. But, aided by grace, what is natural in us, what is human in us, becomes elevated so as to participate in God's life. Right? Grace doesn't make us not human. It fulfills what is most human in us, our intellect and our will, so that we can attain to God. It's not a talk on grace, so we're going to move on. Though this return or this union with God is supernatural and requires grace, right? We can't do it on our own. Our human abilities, unaided by grace, can't get there. It doesn't make us any less human, as I've said. Rather, a life of grace makes us more human. Finally, the fifth point of this proposal, that salvation and sanctification, sanctification, this pursuit of God, uh, requires the full involvement and perfection of our humanity. So it would make sense to understand our humanity, what we are, in a precise way so as to better cooperate or act with the grace that God gives us. Okay, makes sense for following along. We're made to go to God. We can't do that on our own. Grace helps us do that, but that requires the whole person. And I combine two of them so we only have four. <laughs> we're making it simpler. So, to better understand who we are as human beings, we're gonna do a few things. We're gonna look at uh, the composition of the person, of who we are. We're gonna then look at how that functions, how that works. And we're gonna make some argument. No, we're not gonna do that. Then we're going to look, I crossed it out later in the talk, but not in this part. And then we're gonna look at how it is that we are affected by sin, how our dignity is affected by sin, and how grace returns us to that dignity of highest worth. Great, okay. Let's start with this first thing. We're gonna look at the composition of the person itself. Uh, observable fact. Human beings are composite beings. Hmm. 
That is, we're made of some material element, an immaterial element. Why is this an observable fact? Well, what's the difference between a living person and a dead body? I think it's easy enough to say that there's some material elements to who we are. We can cut off a finger. I mean, like a finger could be lost, don't cut off your fingers. We could say, okay, there's this material thing, it's lost, or we can grow and matter is gained, you know, fine. Um, but why is this an observable fact that there's also an immaterial element? Well, an example, what's the difference between a human, a living person and a dead body? In the Christian context, death is defined as the separation of the soul and the body. But we need not be Christians, this isn't a faith-based argument. In fact, this definition of death is taken straight from Aristotle who uh, yeah, simply defined death as the separation of what he called the soul, not the Christian soul, of course, but the soul and the body. We can observe a substantial or a qualitative difference between something living and something dead. A dead body is still a body. Let's just take the moment of death, for example. It still has its material elements intact. These degrade over time, fine, but moment of death, just for now, um, but there's something no longer present, some life force, we could say. This animating principle can be called whatever you want to call it, but traditionally we simply call it the soul, the life force, the thing that animates something, the thing that makes it alive. And for now, that's all we're going to say about the soul, is that it is the qualitative difference between a dead body and a living person. We're not making claims about it or what it does, just that just that it is, right? So there's something that animates a living thing that is not present when the thing's dead, a soul. This something must be immaterial. Well, why? Because material things cannot give life, movement, etc., to another immaterial, or sorry, to another material thing. No matter how many rocks I put in a pile, they're not going to come to life. You have a huge pile of rocks. They're still rocks. They're never going to grow. Never have souls. Never have souls. That's right. Do plants yep. have souls? Do what? Plants have souls. You're going you're gonna to ruin my whole talk. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Maybe. Plants have souls. Yes. But we're getting there. So this being the case, that there's something we call the soul that animates material things, and the soul is immaterial, we can establish um, a term regarding what a human being is. So definition of a human being, in part. That a human person is what we call a hylomorphic being. From Greek, hylo being uh, more than one kind of, and morphic forms, so two forms, body and soul. Uh, we're composite beings, that's all that means. Uh, so, those things we call body and soul, we can talk about them under this form, under matter and form. Right? So, every corporeal substance, everything that exists, that is alive, is composed of two principles. Matter, the stuff, and the form, the determining principle, the life force, the thing that makes it what it is. What's important here to keep in mind is that form and forms matter, right? Form and forms matter. The form of the thing is, the, is what gives meaning to the thing. So, to put it more um, concretely, the soul informs the body. 
It is the human soul that makes the body a human. Otherwise, it's just a body. It's also a plant soul uh, that makes a plant a living plant. When you cut flowers, they're, it's not really, a, I mean, it's, it's a dead plant, so it's just kind of a plant. It's not alive anymore. It's a human soul that, and a cat, you said a cat, cats have souls too. Um, they're not immortal, sorry. They don't go to heaven. Sorry, get over it. Um, plants don't go to heaven either. It's all right, you don't need them. God is enough. Um, so a few interesting notes on this, thanks. What living things, so question, not so much rhetorical, what living things have souls? Every living thing has a soul, right? Why? Because the soul is simply, remember, the thing that animates the matter. So if it's living, it has a life force that we call a soul. Okay, when you're at a funeral, if you're at a funeral, is that person, is that a person in the casket? You're shaking your head no, why not? We have a no and we have a yes, perfect, right next to each other. Okay, you said yes. Yeah, why is that a person in the casket? That's all right, I mean, you're wrong, so just give it a <laughs> there you go. Okay, you said no. Why is it not a person in the casket? Right, because a human person is body and soul. And that's really important. Not just for tonight's talk, but the whole understanding of what we are as human beings. That as human beings, what is most unique about us, our ability to know and to love, requires both body and soul. Okay, third thing. What happens at the second coming? This is thinking forward, thinking forward now. Christ comes back. Christ comes back. What happens to us at the second coming? The resurrection of the body. Yeah, okay. We receive our bodies back. So before the second coming, are we person? After death, before the second coming, are those people in heaven? No. No. They're not. They're souls. Yeah, think about that. Okay, so when you die before the second coming, you're not really, I mean, your soul is designated for your body, but it's not properly a human person until you get your body back. This is why the resurrection of the body is important, and it magnifies the reality and the dignity of who we are as men and women, embodied creatures. Okay, fine. Made, it, made some points. Let's talk about the soul then. Um, let's talk about the soul. Okay, so every living, every living, physical, Corporeal being, not angels, because they don't have bodies, are composed of matter and form. The matter is the physical part, the flesh, and the form is the soul. Human beings are understood that, as we've said, as hylomorphic beings, having body and soul, matter and form. Therefore, let's talk about how this works. All right, so, um, what do I want to say? It's important to understand that while we're going to talk about the powers of the soul, I already mentioned a couple of them, intellect and will, um, that the soul is one, right? You don't have like 10 souls in you. You have one soul. And the soul helps us do different things, different functions, but it's one soul. 
Um, this, but the fact that the soul has allows us to do different things, or what we would call different powers, powers of the soul, um, is another observable fact. Uh, the first, I don't remember what the first observable fact was. It doesn't matter. But this is the second one. Uh, that, that we can observe the way by which human beings act, do things, and recognize that we do different things. Um, yes, so I'm talking, you're listening to different things that human beings are doing. We can find. So we can observe that human beings grow, right? Like babies. Last, I had, this is totally tangential, but I'm going to talk about it. Um, I had my, both my brother and my sister recently had babies. Well, my sister-in-law and my sister recently had babies. And on Saturday, I got to baptize them both. Really cute. Really cute. I showed Katie pictures on Tuesday. Super cute. Um, yeah. jeans, uh, you know. So they, um, yeah, but they're going to grow. They're going to get bigger. So like human beings grow. We can also observe that human beings have appetites or desires. We want things, and we want to avoid things, like getting the answer wrong. Uh, we also want to observe that human beings can, or we can also observe that human beings can think abstractly. And we can think about, like, oh, I got the answer wrong, how can I avoid that in the future? That's an abstract thought. You can think about that. Sorry to keep picking on you. So we can attribute some sort of uh, rational power to the soul. Right? But it's important to recognize that the human person does things um, does these sort of has these powers through through the through the working of the soul. So let's lay out what that is. Okay, I need to do this so I don't get it wrong. Um, yeah. All right. So we're going to look at the person and we're going to say that there are three, <laughs> one, two, three general or three types of soul. Now, because people rudely interrupted my talk and shouted out, this is kind of like, a, it's lost its thunder a bit, but I'm gonna call it here. What is the first type? So I'll give a clue, I'll, no, I'm not. So what's the first type of three types of soul? So you asked about, you asked, do what have souls? Plants. Do plants. So we call, talk about plant souls, right? Or what we're gonna call vegetative. Okay, you asked about, you, yeah, I don't know your name. What did you? Yeah. Thanks a lot, dude. <laughs> what? What did, what did you ask? You asked about, she asked about plant souls, you asked about... Do cats have souls? Yeah, cats are more generally do animals, right? Okay. Let's be honest, cats really don't have souls. I'm not going to comment. Uh, the third, can we think of a third that might make sense in this triptych? Yeah. Us. Us. Yeah, so rational, that's what we're going to call it. Perfect. Or human souls. Okay. Great. Um, when we're talking about the powers, though, so if we can think of like what uh, what plants do, I'm going to kind of give a clue. Plants do three things. Plant lady. <laughs> give me one. Okay. Okay. Let's photosynthesize. So they. They uh, create energy. Yeah. <laughs> Nutritive, right? They they eat. Can I say great food? Yeah. We got it. Teamwork makes the dream work. <laughs> okay, we're, we're, we're done with we're done with eating. They eat. What? They grow. They grow. Yeah. They grow. They eat and. Yeah. Okay. Generative. Okay. Three powers. They grow. They generate and they eat. Now, when we think about plant or 
animal souls. This one might be a little less obvious. We're going to have two. Should have done arrows, but we're going to have two. We're going to talk about the senses. So I'm just going to give these to you. Right? The five senses. Right? Animals sense. They react to external things. And then they have what we call appetites. Not just like they're hungry, but they can, they can want things and not want things. So like flight or fight or flight kind of thing, right? They can see something good and they can chase after, or they can see something bad and, and run away from it. Now, talk about the rational soul, too, as well. Any idea? I've said these two like 50 times, so. Uh, make abstractions. Uh, yes, that's not the power, though. So, yeah. The will? Will is one. Intellect. Intellect and will, right, yeah, great. We're following, this is great. <laughs> Okay, so when we look at the soul, every living being, every living thing, not just human beings, uh, we, we move down this list, right? So all plants have these powers, right? Animals have the ability to sense and they have appetites, desires, but they also have, I mean, animal cats grow whether or not they have souls, they still grow, so for tonight we're gonna say they have souls. The human beings also, we as human beings, also possess these lower powers, as we go up, we move lower. So the lower powers. So human beings, we have all of these, all of these abilities. Okay, right. So last thing here, and I'm sort of setting the scene to move on. But last thing here, um, no, that's that is the last thing. We've already talked about it, right? So powers of the soul. We can observe these observable fact number two that the soul does things. A dead body doesn't grow. A dead body doesn't eat. A dead body doesn't desire, and it doesn't think, but a human being does all those things and others. All that we've talked about so far, then, is good to know. It's like, great, thanks, Father, for wasting our Thursday evening. It's good to know, and it's true. Um, but up to this point, we haven't discussed the most important thing, the defining reality, so to speak. What are these powers and abilities for? Why do they exist? At least for the sake of argument, we know that they exist, but why? All animals are driven by what is apprehended by the senses. So, a dog, let's talk in happier terms, a dog sees something, sees food, sees food, sees what it wants, and it goes after it. It senses it. When an animal is hungry, it seeks something to eat. When it finds it through the senses, when it sees something to eat, this good, food here, engages the appetite, right? And if it's easy to chase after, it chases after. If it's difficult, it finds another way to get it. Human beings, though, when we move on from animals, humans, as a rational animal, are, are uniquely suited not only to judge the worthiness of objects, not only to say, I'm hungry, and this will make me not hungry, but also the means of attainment. The passions which drive us to eat, by way of example, these lower, these lower parts of the soul, in a human being, are ultimately drawn up into what is highest in the human being, the intellect and the will. What drives the will in all cases for the human being, what makes us most human, what is really the, the, the source of our human dignity, is the fact that we are driven by the good, what is good, either in itself, 
or as perceived. Ultimately, the dynamism of the will can only find its perfection in the attainment of the last end, ultimate happiness, fulfillment. The dog is fulfilled when he finds food. The human being is not satisfied by food. By the time you're done, you're going to be looking for something else to eat. By the time I'm done, you're going to be looking for something else to eat. Happiness and fulfillment can be reached at the lower powers, right? You can be full for a bit, but also at our highest, in our intellect and our will, in our infinite desire and longing to know and to love God. This is why our state of grace, this is why being in a state of grace, why living in a state of grace and the proper ordering of the powers of our soul is so critical. Why taking seriously what is most dignified in us, our ability to know and love is really so critical to understand. Because it's only in, in knowing and loving God that our desires are ultimately fulfilled. Put it another way, there's a proper order to how the human person is supposed to act, supposed to live and move and relate. And everything, because of this proper order, leads us to the fulfillment, to fulfillment at all levels of our existence. We are created in a, in a certain way, body and soul, hylomorphic, composite, whatever words you want to use, and also ordained to a particular thing, namely happiness goodness, fulfillment, beatitude. Our desire for an end, for this end of happiness, is contingent, relies upon, relies upon our soul and our body united together as a human person pursuing these ends. And it's the healing of our bodies and our souls through God's grace, through his mercy, the healing of the human person that allows us to pursue him, that gives the human being his, her, dignity and worth, but ultimately because we're able to pursue and chase after God. Okay, we're together so far. I'm gonna erase this. Dangerous, the black ink, yeah, okay, I'm not gonna erase it. I'm gonna slowly erase it. What about animals who are somewhat intelligent, like monkeys? Yeah, they they just have good things going for them. That's not reason. Yeah. They, so like like the the what is it? Is it the gray macaw? Is that some parrot? It's supposed to be like the smartest animal, or whatever. It can. Um, Anna White, that for me. <laughs> uh, yeah, so their their sense power and their their appetites um, are like high function, but their ability to abstract thought seems to be where the, the gap uh, the gap comes in. I don't think animals like ponder their own Yeah, that's still not abstract. It's still not abstract thought. Like they, 
the contemplation of like triangle doesn't seem to be present in an orangutan. Recognition of existing, probably, yeah, which isn't like doesn't exist in like goldfish. Sure, um, yeah. There's there's a gradation in uh, animal functioning. Sure, I'll grant that. They're still not going to heaven. <laughs> so, um, that doesn't, yeah, never mind. Okay, we're going to Hopefully, God provides them on the New York, New York right? Maybe. Not saying that's not going to happen. Um, okay, so when we look at the human person, then, that's, sorry, that's opening. Like, it's like I'm he like heavy breathing into the mic. <laughs> that's what it sounds like. Okay, so when we look at the human person, then, I've talked about grace and the ordering of the person. So I'm going to draw this, which is not. Anything. Great. Um, right. So when we talk about the human person ordered by grace, we can identify four sort of parts of the person, right? We're going to talk about the intellect. We're going to put, that's a heart, and we're going to put the will. And then this isn't really anatomically accurate in any way. Um, and we're going to talk about, I'm just going to abbreviate. I don't know why I'm not writing it one line. Okay, we're gonna talk about these four things. The intellect, the will, and two types of appetites, desires. The intellect, when ordered by grace, all or when these are ordered by grace, is ordered to what? What does the intellect desire? What does the mind want? Truth, truth, yeah, truth. Capital T or lowercase t? Oh gosh. So, what does the will want? Okay, now I'm gonna, hopefully I'll get you on these little arrows. What do the concupiscible, that's what the C ones, concupiscible appetites desire? What? Oh, I thought you, what? Food. Nope, nope, remember the appetites are in, not in the vegetative soul. Got it, no one's gonna get it. Um, easy desires, and this we're just gonna say difficult. Okay, so let me explain this real quick. The concupiscible appetites, when we desire something, they're ordered to goods. Right? Think appetite, desire, we want it. The, the thing, the power of the soul that moves us to get goods that are easy to attain, um, like if it's cold outside, you can just stay inside. Those we call like the concupiscible appetites. Don't ask me why that word is that word. It just is. The irascible appetites are, think you're like out in like, the Arctic Circle and it's cold and it's much harder to stay warm. You have to fight to stay warm. It's, it's for arduous or difficult goods. Um, this is where like fighting something off or let me highlight this by talking about two virtues. Uh, the virtues that, um, or yeah, the virtues that are applied here to these appetites, the virtue that governs the concupiscible appetites. Temperance. Yes. Temperance. Yes. Yeah, I heard you. I was saying yes the first time. Yeah. How about the irascible appetites? I, what? Fortitude. Yeah. Fortitude and temperance. Okay, so we're moving here. So, ordered by grace, the powers of the soul act in this way. Why? Why does this make sense? It does make sense. Because the intellect desires truth and the will good and the appetites move us to what is good and away from what is evil. That the human person ordered in such a way by grace is able to pursue 
what is most, uh, what, what is the greatest pursuit of human existence? God. To know God. To desire God as good. But also to live a life, right? Not just in a sort of angelic way of knowledge and love out of a body, but also in a body that requires fortitude and temperance, our engagement with the created world. I've lost my next page. It's going badly. Hang in there. There it is. Um, to engage in the created world. So as to pursue that. This is what a person looks like on a good scale. Now we're going to talk about sin, and then we're going to return to grace, and then we're going to wrap it up with how this all works together for human dignity. Trust me, we'll get there. Okay. The, the danger of dry erase stuff is it gets powdery, and it doesn't wipe off a white habit. So it's like <laughs> danger zone over there. Breathing into the mic. Okay, the effects of sin. So let's start with the review. Human person is hylomorphic, body and soul. And the soul is what we call the life force or something like that, that informs the body. The soul has various powers, reason, will, appetites, senses, um, and then we can grow, eat, and reproduce. Great, we do all of those things. Uh, it has, we have rational powers um, that, we didn't talk about this, but that are we could use as a proof for immortality. Great, um, now we can talk about how the human person is created. Now we're getting close to like where we are. We're created. So we'll look at three, we'll break time into three, uh, three pieces. Pre-fall, post-fall, and post-passion, or post-new covenant, fine, right? So what we could call pre-lapsarian, post-lapsarian, and new covenant. So before the fall, who existed, people before the fall? Yeah, I mean, okay, easy question, you got it. <laughs> You didn't raise your hand for that. I <laughs> know. Uh, don't. It's okay. You already got it wrong, so it can't be worse. Like, <laughs> so, I know. I shouldn't. I shouldn't have erased that because that was Adam. But it's good because I was going to erase it. But Adam, before the fall, Adam and Eve were created in a state of grace. They were perfectly ordered. Their intellect and their will were perfectly ordered to God, and their desires were perfectly ordered to God. We call this existence rectitude. That everything is ordered perfectly. Right? So before the fall, Adam and Eve were subject to God. Their lower passions, their desire for food, drink, and sex were also ordered by their higher passions, by their reason and their will. And the body was subject to the soul. That's pre-fall. Post-fall, right? Moving on to the second one. Post-fall, all of that goes out of whack. That's just out of whack. But he's still... Adam, he's still a man, right? So rather than being perfectly ordered, man, Adam, governs his self. Ooh, there's an L in self. Uh, his lower passions, govern his higher, that's fine. Lower passions govern higher passions, and the body governs the soul. I don't know about you guys, I've been a religious for like 12 years and like having a cheeseburger is often much more desirable than praying still. Like I'm here, you know, body is governing the soul. So I'm sure not as not so much with you, but sin corrupts. Sin corrupts and destroys the proper functioning of the human being. It ruins human dignity. It ruins what we're made for. Sin throws us all out of whack. Original and our own sin. 
When we talk about grace, the reason why grace is so important to pursuing all of what I've kind of been laying out is because, if I could flip that, I would, uh, because it writes what has gone wrong. And if we look at all of creation, or creation, if we look at what salvation, that's where I'm trying to think of salvation history, we could divide this into two things, into two pieces. And this isn't my idea, but this was a scripture professor that I had. He said, looking at the Bible at salvation history can be divided into two, two, the Bible can be divided into two. First, you have Genesis 1 through 3, then you have Genesis 4 through Revelation 22. That's all of, that's an easy divide, right? Because you have creation, and then you have the fall. And then you have God trying to win us back. Right? Creation, the fall, Genesis 1 through 3, and Genesis 4 through Revelation 22. God trying to win us back. Essentially, life with God before the fall. Uh, there was life with God before the fall, and life with God's saving plan. Through the Old Covenant, God revealed himself to the Israelites, and he also revealed the true identity of the Israelites to themselves in what their human dignity consists, namely through the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are simply an expression of what it means to be a human being. Another division. Dominicans, we like to make distinctions, so sorry for throwing a lot at you, but uh, if we look at the Ten Commandments, one through three, and then four through ten, one through three govern our relationship with God, and four through ten our relationship with neighbor. Through Christ and the New Covenant, which Christ himself established, grace returns us to that state of rectitude, to that state of union with God. And remember that salvation and sanctification involves the whole human person, so that the human person, because the human person is what needs to be healed. Not just our minds, not just our wills, not just our bodies, but all of us. And this is contrary to the Calvinist or generally the general kind of caricature of the Protestant notion of grace, wherein God juridically says or externally forgives but doesn't internally heal or transform or elevate. And herein, this teaching, this truth of who we are as human beings, what grace does, magnifies God's love and mercy for us, but does so because his grace, his love, returns us to what is most dignified about us. That we, not simply our souls, but we as men and women and souled human beings, body and soul, are made to pursue God. And not simply to pursue him in a way that is unattainable, but in a way that is readily available. To know him and to love him. As we've said, sin inverts this relationship within the person and with God. And it's only grace, and we can say infallibly offered in the sacrament through Christ's salvific work that returns us to our original, not in the sense of going back to before the fall, but to this, this dignity. So a few notes about how this is accomplished, and I'll leave it there with some questions or like wrapping this up. So what is part and parcel of our human dignity is freedom. Grace allows us to freely pursue the good. Freedom is not about the ability to have an infinite amount of choices without anything impinging on that decision, which is often the notion of freedom, that I can choose whatever I want. Freedom is the ability to choose the good without difficulty. Freedom is the ability to recognize what is most good and on offer and to choose it, primarily, or at least prior, prior, 
prioritize, I'm trying to think of like an adverb for priority. Most especially, God. <laughs> but also with respect to everything else in our lives. With respect to our human relationships. With respect to our desires for things that our lower passions desire, for food, drink, and sex. The beautiful thing about us being body and soul is that even those lower things are food, drink, sex, when, uh, when moved by grace and incorporated into our, and governed by our reason and our will, make us holy. Eating can make you a saint. Kind of cool. <laughs> like, the conjugal act, a husband and wife having sex, can make them holy, contributes to their holiness. Sorry, Jansenists and Calvinists, sex is a good thing. Protestants you know, lose out on this one, too. These things, our body can make us and does make us saints. And this is part of what is great about our human dignity. Grace allows us to pursue freely, to recognize the good, and to pursue it unencumbered. And I'll say this, I kind of said this already. The incorporation of our lower powers, it's not on the board anymore, into our higher powers. Too often we think that, I, yeah, I just said this, but I'm going to repeat it because it's in the notes. Too often we think that our lower powers, our desires for these, for food, drink, and sex need to be suppressed. Right? That like chastity is about suppressing sexuality or sexual urges, that like overeating or um, indulging too much about like gluttonous kind of things. It's, it's about suppressing those desires for food, drink, and sex. No, that's not true. They don't need to be suppressed. They need to be elevated into our reason and our will. They need to be redeemed to contribute to what is most dignified in the human person. To contribute to what is holiness, they need to, or what is holy. So final words. The principle of holiness is an important one in the Christian life. The principle of human dignity foundation of that. God wants all of us, God wants all of you, not because you are good enough, but because he loves you. God wants to work and to elevate what is good in you, to perfect and heal what is yet to be good, so as to share his life with you. That's the essence of human dignity. Everything that is good about the human person relies on that reality. He doesn't want this or that part. He doesn't want to heal your regenerative powers. He doesn't want to heal your intellect. He doesn't want to heal your will. He wants to heal you. That incorporates all of that, but he wants you. And because we can't separate ourselves into various pieces or that we shouldn't, we have to understand who we are as a whole, body and soul, and how the soul, the powers of the soul, move us in that way. So perhaps a bit of an esoteric route to talk about human dignity, but one that's worthwhile anyways. Because if we don't know who we are, then we can't beg for the mercy and the grace to be healed in who we are. It's a human person who will rise from the dead to be with our Lord forever and eternity. It's a human person that grace is working to heal and to know God, to heal ourselves, to know ourselves, and to heal others and know and love others, so that we might work and redound to his glory. This is the source of dignity. It's the Imago Dei. It is what our lives are about. There you have it. Uh, thanks. <laughs>Thank you all for tuning in to this episode of the Thursday Night Streams podcast. We hope that you learn a little bit more about what sets us human beings apart and just the inherent dignity that comes with being 
human and having souls. Um, so, like I said at the beginning, this is our last episode of the school year. So, on behalf of James and I, we hope you all have a great summer and that you enjoyed all these talks that we were able to produce for you all. We are very, very grateful to have been able to do this and to serve you guys in this way. Um, so, I hope everyone has a great summer. Take care and God bless.